0: love this podcast support this show through the Acast supporter feature it's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment just hit the link in the show description to support now
1: welcome to soho shortwave the podcast from soho radio that gives you a taste of some of our best content each month Soho Radio is an online radio station broadcasting live from London and New York. With the carefully curated Soho Shortwave podcast, you can easily explore our eclectic, exciting range of shows. In the third episode of Series 2, we're looking back at last month, October 2021. Coming up... Journalist and beauty expert Sally Hughes speaks to peers from the hair and fashion industries about their experiences of facing mental ill health. A beautiful live session from Indie and Seoul singer-songwriter Bernardo. An excerpt from an insightful and intimate interview with acclaimed director Edgar Wright about his new film Last Night in Soho. And to play us out, another wonderful live session from our week-long takeover with Iranian radio station Beshknow. First, Sally Hughes speaks to hairdressers Neil Moody and Adam Reid and stylist Grace Woodward about dealing with mental ill health whilst working in their demanding industries.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Sally Hughes here. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, what's it like to feel hopeless, paralysed by depression and anxiety when the world expects you to be, well, fabulous, darling? What if you're preparing a star for the red carpet, leading the glam squad backstage at a Saturday night TV show, or launching your new product before an audience of VIPs, or while wanting to disappear permanently? Who do you turn to in an industry that is all about appearances? How honest can you be about your mental ill health when thousands of hopefuls are waiting to step in your place? My guests today are all leading creatives who, alongside high-profile work in the fashion and beauty industry, live with periodically debilitating mental ill health. Neil Moody and Adam Reid are, separately, two of London's leading editorial celebrity and fashion hairdressers and founders of top salons and two well-known hair product lines. Adam has spoken frankly and openly about his experiences with addiction, depression, including about a life-changing episode of disassociative amnesia and delusion that caused him to re-evaluate his entire professional life. Neil Moody's own struggle with depression, anxiety and agoraphobia, and that of his family members, have prompted him to also open up, with November's release of his new podcast, Minding the Gap, Male Suicide Awareness. My third guest, a bit later on, is celebrity fashion stylist, consultant and creative director, Grace Woodward. In recent years, Grace has switched from using her social media platform to showcase red carpet outfits and TV work to posting extensively about mental health, covering body image, depression, suicide, abandonment and eating disorders, all of which have been recurring themes in her own life. All are here to discuss all this and more, as well as to share some of the tunes that provide comfort to them in the tough times. Starting there with Madonna's Ray of Light, as chosen by Neil Moody. It's a two Madonna show, everyone. That's my favourite thing. (laughs) I've got the gay hairdressers in, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. (laughs) More of their choices and mine coming up. But first, hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. It's so nice to be talking to you about this. I'm obviously used to talking to you about... Hair and beauty and new products, and what's going on in the industry. But actually, today we're going to talk about something a bit more substantial. Can we start with you, Neil? Because you're the reason we're here, actually. Oh, you're, okay. you're <laughs> well, I was talking to your team about your podcast, mm. and it really got me thinking. I thought, what was so interesting about it is I immediately thought, I didn't know Neil Moody had mental health issues. Mm. And this is really the nub of the problem, isn't it? This, this <laughs> yep. is immediately where I thought, OK, why don't you know that? Why don't I know that? I just think, you're a brilliant hairdresser. And then that got me thinking about Adam, who I know a bit better. Mm. Um, and obviously Adam's been so open about his own struggles. And I suppose really that's where I'd like to start, the unknown. Yeah. And how difficult is it to share?
3: I'll be honest with you, it's really difficult to make that decision of, I am now going to share... I first started sharing my story about three years ago when I was invited to be on a podcast with probably um, somebody that you know very well, Georgia Day. Her husband, Jamie, started a podcast called Man Talk, which was about raising awareness for men's mental health, but in a way where he would interview various males from different walks of life talking about their experiences with anxiety and depression and it was to raise awareness but also to try and help other people. And when I heard that he was doing this i just turned 50, just given my age away there, <laughs> just turned 50 <laughs> and I had also um, just kind of left my company that I was part of, Windler Moody, and not that that had started the depression because my depression actually started way before then like when in my like late 20s early 30s and but this was a moment in time when i suddenly felt like i could open up and talk about it in a way where i thought if it's going to help other people that was my main Aim for doing it. And so I did this interview with Jamie um, and I found myself really opening up more than I imagined that I would actually.
2: And so, what are we talking about, Neil? We're kind of, you know, we're talking about mental ill health as a whole, but obviously there are a million variables in that. What, yeah. for you, were the issues? Well,
3: I started having anxiety attacks when I was about 14 which I didn't understand what they were, obviously didn't discuss it with anybody, just thought i am um, feel a bit weird. My friends thought I was having a little weird moment in my teens and sort of brushed it under the carpet. And then when I was about 19, I'd already moved to London because I'm originally from Birmingham. And what had happened was I'd broken up with my partner who I'd moved to London with, And I suddenly, I think it was all a bit overwhelming for me in London and my anxiety attacks started happening again, but stronger than they had in my teens. I mean, I was still in my teens, but late teens at this point. And I would find myself having to get off the tube on my way to work because I couldn't breathe. My palms were sweating. I'd start to feel a bit disorientated and again, didn't really do much about it. I just sort of took up yoga because I thought that would help and that was really my intro into trying to discover what was happening but when I got to about 30 my session career as we call it in as a freelancer hairdresser I had started to become very successful and it, my success happened very quickly in that world you know one minute I started working with the photographer who was a friend of mine and then the next thing I knew I was flying around the world and doing all these shoots for all these magazines and you suddenly feel like you can't say no to anything. And it all became very overwhelming. And I, I was hit massively by the anxiety. But to the point where, I, that, like you mentioned, I became agoraphobic. I couldn't go outside. And actually, two of my friends came to see me and said, we think you need to go and see a doctor. And they took me to a doctor who then referred me to a psychiatrist. And he actually informed me, having doing an analysis on me, that... Um, I had depression and very, very severe anxiety, and that uh, I needed help <laughs> basically and so they actually he put me onto medication, which I was very against. But I did it. And the reason why I was against it because my father had a nervous breakdown when I was very young, when I was 10, 11 years old, and they put him onto medication and he had a really bad reaction to it. And actually my father recovered through yoga, which is why I turned to Mm -hmm. yoga. So I would had a bit of an experience of that. And I was, but they informed me that medication is a lot more sophisticated now. And I was put onto Prozac. And I'll be honest with you, it helped. It lifted my mood, lifted the depression. I wouldn't say it all changed overnight. It was like a period of... Months and also starting having different um, therapies, and I started having acupuncture. I mean, I was doing absolutely everything because suddenly I had to put my whole career on hold for about four months, and I didn't work at all, and it was awful because it was a moment where for me, my career was taking off, you know, yeah. and everyone was like, "You're doing really well," and I was like, "I feel terrible." So it was a real defining moment for me, and so in the podcast with Jamie, that's I talked about all of that and you know how being successful isn't always as great as it seems on the outside.
2: Indeed, and Adam is um, nodding profusely along to lots of this, as am I, and Grace Woodward is now joining us too. So let's put a record on and let's regroup to talk about exactly that. Mm. Um, All the records today are records that kind of lift our spirits and make us feel good about ourselves or make us reflect, make us cry, make us wail, whatever we need to do when feeling really, really blue. This is one of my choices. It's uh, Say A Vida A by Pet Shop Boys. Grace Woodward is here now. Hello. Hello. Um, I feel Grace, like I've come home. I know. Right? I know. <laughs> so Grace was um, a Soho Radio host for quite a long time, weren't you? A number mm, of years. Two years, yeah. Until Was it until you moved away outside of London? No,
4: I still was commuting in from Hertfordshire, but I think that that also made it quite stressful. Yeah. That, like, the train, like, today my train was yeah. cancelled, but that used to happen all the time yeah. when I was hosting my own show. And it's just like my nerves were, and we're talking, we're on theme today talking about anxiety, but can you can imagine that. I was like, terrified. I'd come in behind the deck. I'd shaking like a whippet and then crying behind the records the producer was like god this woman what is up with her <laughs> but yeah it's quite it's a lot to handle doing
2: this so well done Sally yeah, I mean you're I, you're I think I'm on my seventh year oh my god that's amazing oh, yeah. um, but for those of you who have just joined us we still have hairdressers Adam Reed and Neil Moody and now fashion stylist Grace Woodward all of them um are keen to i suppose take away the stigma from mental health mental ill health and i think there is something particular to our industry there there is a set of there are a set of environmental circumstances in our industry that make it a little bit Different. Agreed. Mm. So before before we went to the record, Neil was sharing his story. Adam was nodding massively and going, "Are you me?" <laughs> Even though Adam and Neil have known each other for a very, very, very long time, it's very interesting to me that Adam Reed, who has known Neil Moody forever, is learning this thing about Neil Moody, right? and, and that is and that is the mad thing about mm. mental ill health. Absolutely. When you start talking, you discover things about people that you thought you knew really well, and actually they mirror your own experiences. But also, so much. Yeah. we're kept away from
4: each other essentially. Quite. You are friends, but essentially you could be in competition over a job. Same with me. I could share my my experience with many stylists, but it's that thing. You don't get to sit down and talk to each other because it's always like...
5: You do more often now, which I think is a real positive turn of events. And I really do. Grace and I work together on a massive show. Neil and I have known each other backstage for a long time. Mm. But actually, as I've started talking, timeline, (laughs) it's pretty similar to Neil. But I really believe that a real positive change is the fact that people are talking about it. And again, high-profile people are talking about it, which makes it so much easier for younger people to do. Now, if we had that back in the day, mm. nine, in the 90s, I do believe it would be different. And, and sharing is caring. It's an old cliche. But I know when Grace and I worked together, we struggled really bad on the same thing. Oh my god! Um, and... But we didn't talk to each other about why we were struggling. Well,
4: we didn't have time. We didn't have time, but I
5: remember us one time, you calling me from the car park. Oh crying. Really real I was really upset. I'm
2: just going to say that Adam Reed and Grace Woodward used to work on the X Factor for a number of years. i just, I'm just one, going to say it Just one. I only did one and that was enough. Grace and Adam was there a long time. But I'm just going to come out and say it because they're not going to. But yes, they worked on The X Factor, which is the very high-profile show they're talking about. And that's a lot, right?
5: Mm. Oh, it's a lot. And you have no idea that it's a lot. A lot is hidden. And I don't think it was necessarily bad. Do I? (laughs) Do
4: I? Would you like me to follow (laughs) up on that?
5: Do I or don't? No, I wouldn't do it now. No. But um, for us, even backstage, you pressure was immense but the pressure is immense every day uh, for what we do and it's like people I've heard it so many times but you just do hair and I'm like okay it's a job like anybody else's and what's interesting as a creative uh, what comes with being a creative is issues of insecurity and Mm. mental health and what have you and and really mental health as a conversation is brand new It's brand new.
2: It really is. I mean, we're all from around about roughly the same generation in this industry. So I entered this industry in the early 90s, so in 1990, I think. And, (laughs) good God, um, I literally cannot remember ever hearing anybody talk about mental ill health. In those days, the wheels would fall off some people and you'd go, oh, they've done too much coke, or they've done this. Or Or they'd be dead. Or they'd be dead. Yes. Mm. They'd be dead. But actually... Given the number of people who at that time were dying of AIDS and the mental ill health fallout from that, that was a huge thing Mm. at the time. Nobody ever talked about people Mm. losing their friends and their colleagues left behind and centre, all of that. Um, There was obviously lots of drug abuse. Also, at that time in London, in our industry, the industry was full of... Weirdos who'd come from a place where they were rejected. It was definitely true of me.
4: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I wanted to shine some light on that as as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about as I as I came up on the train with the Doberman. Um, That um, I got into fashion, and I don't know if you guys have covered this. To escape from where I were, how I was brought I up. I think
2: that's true of lots of the industry. Making
4: making a fantasy yeah. from the reality I wanted to escape from. So I went, you know, you know, full 180 out of, you know, a really sort of uh, terrible neglection of, of my upbringing, into being like I can make myself and everybody else into the world I want to see, which is fine for a while. And it's really good fun. So when you're coming up young in the industry, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so creative and I'm going to do this, that and the other. And it doesn't matter that you're not paid because you're hanging out at each other's houses and stuff. But as you mature into the industry, creating the fantasy for myself very much so I don't know about for other people, I, I so moved away from who I was I created like a fantasy character that actually the wheels fell off for me because I couldn't keep that up, plus the money side, plus the mortgage, plus buy, you know buying a house, plus thinking about are you ever going to get a, a pension, that sort of stuff, because that early nux of creativity for the young people that come into the fold, nobody sits them down and goes, right, what's the long game? Because everyone thinks it's fun.
1: Now, from our bi-monthly Bar Kino show, we have a live session with British-Portuguese soul and indie artist, Bernardo. Enjoy.
6: I just really like the fact that in Brazil, there's so many DIY artists doing really interesting things. While here, I think, I guess it's a little bit tougher because, you know, it's more expensive here and everything's tough and you have to live in London, which is really stressful. So it's never that straightforward. And over there, there's a freedom that I just love, and that's what really drew me to them.
7: That's an interesting point of view.
6: Yeah, that's how I see it. <laughs> I've never been to Brazil, though. They might be different, completely different.
7: <laughs> I think they might think the same as you, in the... and
6: the the other way around. Uh, yes. I don't yeah. know. I love everyone from it that's on Sulaki Records. I like everyone from Silvichko that we spoke about. An incredible artist that I'm just
7: whoa. Would you play as a song?
6: Yeah. So this one's called Slow Intro. It's very small, as in short, I mean it's one of the first ones I've written. Not really the one that the first one that I've recorded. <laughs>
8: Comes as I surprise I guess I gave away the clue When you saw me staring right at you Boy, you're always on my mind Oh, my love, so undefined
6: I'm sorry. That's like a minute song, but here we go. (laughs) I always feel embarrassed by playing my my tiny little songs. But here we go.
7: No, that was amazing. Thanks. Thank you. Do you always write in English?
6: Yeah, mostly I... I mean, in the new, I, I'll play one migraine days who ha, that has uh, some of the bridges are in Portuguese, mainly because my my existence is mainly in English. Like I only speak Portuguese to my friends at home or my parent, but even my parents they speak English because I mean my dad moved here when he was eight, so he's quite you know he's quite Cockney and pretty much English. So I speak in English with him in Portuguese with my mum and my brother, but my whole existence really and my coming you know to like growing up is all in english really so i guess that's why but i mean it's mixed right because i speak both language and i speak to different people in in different languages so i try to incorporate whatever the experience is you know in both so i try and and incorporate both now that's going to be my new thing
7: (laughs) Yeah, yeah and you did a version of sozinho by peninha
6: Oh, you've heard that? Yeah. Yes. So that's one of my favorite songs. I, it's so it's such a beautiful song. I know everyone plays it because it's so beautiful. But I went on, because I met Phil Manzanera from Roxy Music playing at pubs. And he said, are we going on tour? And we want you to sing for us. And I, we recorded the whole album. And we went to Japan, which is incredible and it was an amazing experience. And I had to open for him as well. So I did my act. <laughs> And then I would get dressed up like very Roxy music and then I'll come and do all the Roxy music tunes. And in my act, you know, I I played him the Sozinho song and he's like, you have to play it. You have to play it every night. (laughs) And I I did it, which was amazing. So, um, yeah, and then I recorded it for a live album. But yeah, I love that song. It's so beautiful.
7: And how was this experience with Phil?
6: Incredible. He's the nicest man and he's pretty much my mentor and my... Rock Dad, that's how I call him. <laughs> it's incredible because first of all you you have to know your shit, you can't really be messing around and it's um, you know, and you learn all the Roxy Music tunes which are one of the best, I mean they're just so great, so well written and such great tunes and I get to then sing them out loud, you know, and add my bit to it and he he would let me do any I mean, he's just so positive and when I did this de perseuma with you I asked him if he wanted to produce it and he helped out a bit. Wow. So, yeah, he's just incredible.
7: And about the covers, I would like to thank you a lot for recording a song for oh, thank you. for the show. And I wonder why did you choose Volta Por Cima, written by Paolo Vanzolini?
6: Well, I didn't actually know it was written by him. So, I have the album Drama where my dad had it and
7: Maria Bettania.
6: Yeah. I'll tell you a story which is quite funny. I thought I was adopted. Every child thinks they're adopted. And I thought Maria Britannia might be my possible mum because her photos looked a lot like me when I was little because my mum doesn't have curly hair and I do. And I was just like, hmm, something's wrong here. <laughs> so I used to listen to her all the time. My dad puts on a lot of Brazilian music at home. And this song to me was, I don't know, it just always just hit me in a weird way, always. And I go to it all the time when things are not going very well or because it's still like minor chords but it's like euphoric and it's like we can do this yeah I just I love her version it's my favorite version so I sort of did a version of a version (laughs) right but yeah I just um yeah and I remember going to the studio with Dave and everyone was there and I was like actually I I want to Pedro's has asked me to do a cover and I'm going to do this song. And they were like, this is crazy. <laughs> and it was just so great to do it with everyone. Dave McLean. Dave McLean, yeah.
7: He's the drummer of Django Django.
6: Yeah, and producer. And oh. he's incredible.
7: Going back to Wasn't There Someone Told Me, it opens with All You Live Is Love. Yeah. That was co-written by you and...
6: Skinny. Skinny and Palembe. Doya. Yeah. Doya. I never know what to call him. <laughs> <laughs> Skinny Palembo.
7: And he also sings in it with you.
6: Yeah. He sings the verse, all you leave is love, but he does the lowest voice. We get together often and we just you know go shop Sometimes in this case, we went shopping for records. And then it was like, we're going to sample one and we're going to do it. And we do that all the time. And it just always, we always come up with something. And me and him work quite well. Yeah. And then we came up with this sample and then we just started singing. I started playing guitar and I played bass on it. And I start singing on it and then it was just like a weird, it's a weird song really. But I don't know if you can even call it a song, but it's a song to me. But um, yeah, it just made total sense to have that, to begin to start with the whole EP. Nice. I can't even speak English when I'm <laughs> on the spot. I can't do it.
7: Doya was curious about something and has sent you a <laughs> question.
6: He's gonna be like, "You're not answering my text." Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, and, well, and, the... and,
7: and just to to talk about Skinny Palumbo, he has a show on Soho Radio, Sounds Yellow, once a month.
6: Yeah,
5: he's the greatest.
7: It's, it's amazing, amazing show. Hey,
5: Pedro, here's my questions for Sonia Bernardo. Right, assuming you are the leader, singer, and guitarist of your own supergroup, who are the other members in this uh, mighty legendary band? of yours and um would you rather have a trumpet for a nose so when you sneeze it's really (laughs) annoying for everyone around you or would you rather have wood blocks for fingers so everything you do is mildly um (laughs) percussive
8: that's
6: so great thanks doya um i would rather have a trumpet for a nose because trumpet is one of my favorite instruments and sounds so that would be amazing that would be great. And it would probably improve my face, really. So, a trumpet for nose, do not want anything on my fingers, because that's just weird, quite honestly, Doya. But yeah, <laughs> the trumpet for nose would be my choice. And what was the other question? Who would be my super band if I was in a band, and who would I pick? Am I lame if I say my friends that play with me anyway? (laughs) No, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't pick anyone famous. I'll probably just pick my friends. Eli, Hal, you know, all that lot. Dave on drums, Luke, Matthias, that whole lot. I hope they listen to this.
7: (laughs) (laughs) And would you play us one more song?
6: So I'm going to play one from Panic Prayers. That was my first EP. Uh, It's called Wiser. It's a song with two chords, so bear with me. Also, it's got lots of trumpets, so I'm just going to scat, okay? Just so you know.
8: Who knows? the ice can break and ice will fade? Things never be. The same drum to try and keep the beat. You can swing or play and straight. I love this city, but every month I pack my bags to leave a good and bring. time is may die up fooling myself in panic prayers well in the meantime we go what up all when we get through it all, all. well some sit and stare, roll their eyes and trickings not to care, dreamlings I just didn't get a cap, you can swing or play it straight, I love this city, by every month I pack my bags to leave, couldn't bring myself to it, roll oh, my time, is made up for. Myself in panic praise Well in the meantime we go eyes of, oh we get through it all, all.
7: packaging for panic prayers cassette is pretty cool
6: yes that's pretty cool that's actually quite funny because the picture is my mum, who looks a lot like me which i didn't realize because i was like what how did you take that photo and it's my granddad and my auntie back in the day in portugal
7: so as a child did your mother resemble maria betania
6: no she didn't that's why i didn't think she was my mother (laughs) no offense to my mum; she's great No, I don't know who I take to, but I'm like a mix. But yeah, in that photo specifically, I look a lot like my mother. So everyone just thought that was a photo of me, but it wasn't. It was just more of a homage to my fam and my roots.
7: That's cool. I thought it was you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you have a gig in five days mm-hmm. at Lion & Coffee Records. Yeah. How is this going to be? It's a Halloween. I have no
6: idea. It's a Halloween sort of... Halloween bash, I guess. There's a few bands, there's like five of us. I don't know who the other bands are, I don't actually know much about it yet, but it's going to be amazing. It's always quite fun over there. It's going to be packed, everyone's going to be dressed up. I don't know, but probably I haven't decided if I'm dressing up or not, but I think it's going to be great.
7: Are you playing with bands or just you? Yeah, I'll be playing.
6: Well, we can't have the drum kit because the place is too small, which is a shame. Um, so I'll just have keyboards and bass in me. Let's hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine.
7: And have you been working on any new stuff? You've been recording?
6: I'm working for the album now, so... Nice. Yeah, that's been going, just going well, I think. Uh, we're getting there, chipping away. I work at the Django studio because they're kind enough to let me go after hours because they work up until five and they're normally not there on the weekend. So then I go after five or during the weekend I'm pretty much always there so I'm quite lucky because they got so much stuff and I get to wild out it's pretty cool
7: wow that's great yeah and is it coming out this year next year
6: next year hopefully next year yeah
7: and going back to a label so lucky I have another question here for you oh my god this time sent by Danilo Samsung.
6: I love Danilo
7: (laughs) Sonia hello hey Pedro how are you mate so, there goes my question, okay? Um, Sonia, here at Seloki Records, we are really big fans of weird music. I know. You know, like, we always like to know what art- other artists are listening to and why they consider music weird. So, my question is, what's the weirdest music that you are li- listening right now and why do you consider it weird? Okay, <laughs> cheers guys!
6: Well, I don't know. I think all music's a bit weird, but um, I listen to a lot of weird stuff in comparison to a lot of people. Like, I don't know what other people listen to. I listen to a lot of singing from other countries. I'm obsessed with Bulgarian chanting and that's my new thing, just Bulgarian choirs. And I might go and see a Bulgarian choir up in Leeds perhaps next month, so we'll see. Um, I'm into uh, more sort of arabic singing as well i listen to a lot of arabic music i don't know what's going on or what they're saying but it's my thing um and then i listen to a lot of i don't know just bizarre instrumental music you know one of my favorite bands is roller trio who i'm also really good friends with so shout out they're from leeds and they do a lot of experimental jazz and i'm i love them so much Just interesting sounds that have a little bit of a melody that I can catch on to, I really like. But that's the weirdest. I mean, apart from that, I listen to a lot of normal 60s rock and roll and things like that that are just easier to... And I listen to a lot of singers, so... Nice. Yeah.
7: Is there anything else you would like to add?
6: To that answer?
7: (laughs) 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 Well, to the... To the chats in general. Well,
6: I will. I like to say thank you for having me, Pedro, and thank you so so much. I know I reached out to you. uh, I mean, you reached out to do the song, but I reached out to you after because making that cover was just such a turmoil time for me, and making it was just such a grounding. I mean, I sound like Oprah. I don't know what I sound like. A bit woo woo, but it was just so great to do it, and it's just really. I don't know. It just unblocked me, <laughs> if <Wow>. you will. <laughs> so it was great, and I'm, I'm we're having a great time at Saloki with it. And they're they're. Um, did I tell you they're doing a remix? Otto is doing a remix yes. with his with his brother. Yes. I haven't heard it yet, so I don't know, but it's going to be amazing.
7: Wow, looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. Well, and I thank you very much. I, I was very glad thank when you, you accepted it and did record a song. I think it sounds brilliant. I really love the way you sing it and the way you did it. Mm -hmm. And the compilation with it came out a bit over a week ago. It's on barakino.bandcamp.com. And you can get it there as name or price. And all the proceeds go straight to an independent venue in Rio de Janeiro called Audio Rebel. That it's essential to the city. It's really fundamental. it, It just had its first gigs after more than a year closed.
8: Oh,
6: wow.
7: So... It's good. There has been almost three hundred pounds since I started the series of compilations.
6: That's amazing. A
7: bit a year ago. Yeah. A bit over a year ago.
6: Yeah. That's amazing. I wanna play at that venue if I come to Brazil. You I'm putting it out there in the universe.
7: If you go there you will. <laughs> <laughs> so Sonia, I would like to thank you a thank lot you. for being here. It's a joy to meet you. And would you play us one last song before <laughs> finish the session
6: yeah I'm going to play uh, one from the actual new EP Wasn't There Someone Told Me this one's called Migraine Days and I've never played it on my own so I don't know how this is going to sound but I'll try my best (laughs)
8: Now felt strange, and he got eyes in the back. My grain days, and there is no
1: From the Museum of Soho show, presenter Xing and Young interviews acclaimed director Edgar Wright about the inspiration behind his new psychological thriller Last Night in Soho. Hey there, how are you
0: doing?
9: Hi, I'm great, thanks. How are you? Good. So exciting to talk to you. Um, just because of, you know, the having seen now seen the film, I was just thinking to myself, I can't not like talk to you about all the spoilers of the film because there's so many fantastic like surprises in this movie and it is a love letter to Soho which I really appreciate being um you know kind of having immersed in it with my own research but I guess the first question I have is why Soho? Why, why Soho for this film?
0: Well I, I, I guess probably for in a similar reason to you is like I mean I've lived in London for 27 years um, but I think I've spent more time in Soho than any other area in London both through work and socializing obviously it's the center of the film and tv industry but also just you know theater and comedy and music and and you know nightlife and uh, it's just something obviously it's a kind of a very compelling place and um you know the shadows of the past loom large both in in a good way and and bad and um I just, I guess I'd spent just a lot of time here (laughs) and it's something that I kind of wanted to unpack for myself in a way. Um, And and, and I guess the movie is about the difference between the perception and the reality. And um, it's, you know, it's, there's obvious great reasons to be obsessed about 60s London, but, you know, there's also the danger of romanticizing that at the same time
9: yeah, exactly. i was I was going to say, like one of the things that's so interesting about the film is that the yes, the dangers of the nostalgia, right? The dangers of nostalgia and how those can actually lead to quite violent um violent ends or violent means, I guess. And um so one of the things that I really appreciated about it is how it appreciates the so of the past was at the same time not doing what, I guess, um, what I sort of read in your excellent b f i article to go with your season, London after Dark, West End Jungle, which is kind of this mockumentary style sort of a film about the street offenses act and prostitution and subculture and I wondered how much of how much of that kind of permeates the film, like kind of your own feeling towards that, like do you kind of feel that Soho is kind of it it thrives because it's both of these things it both kind of represents subculture and it represents sort of that nightlife and that excitement and the center of all things in London or is it actually you really did want to like you know uh, communicate some sort of message to the audience at all about that
0: yeah I mean it's a complicated one because I mean even Soho now is that it's a tricky one because you don't want it to be completely gentrified but then you're not necessarily supporting everything that happens, so it's a very sort of complicated thing. Because I think if it went fully the route of that Times Square did in New York and become literally Disneyfied, it would feel like sad in a way. But then at the same time, is you can't you can't even a hundred percent recommend it kind of to every tourist <laughs> in terms of because different people have different like experiences. And I guess one of the things about the film uh, is I tried to sort of dramatize both in the modern day and in in the 60s. And with the help of Christy Wilson Cairns, who um, came onto the sort of project uh, to write the screenplay with me and who also had worked in Soho, but literally she had been a barmaid at the Toucan and lived above Mm. Sunset Strip on Dean Street for five years. So she brought a whole, you know, she was you know brought a whole other kind of like wealth of stories but I, I think the thing is is that like I even as a, even as a man I'm sort of very aware that like sort of you know one sort of like wrong decision late at night can turn into sort of tragedy very quickly and and I guess that's a thing that I was always a bit haunting to me about reading about the 60s and, and actually in writing the script doing my own research because there's all the films that we've both watched, which are sort of like fascinating. And and then was trying to get to the heart of it beyond that in terms of the real facts. And, and so the first thing that I did, once I said out loud about the idea of making the movie to my producers, Naira Park and Rachel Pryor, I said, let's hire a researcher to kind of research the real stories, because as you know, I'm sure you know, you know, before recent events, like a lot of those stories would be, second- or third-hand accounts, or even worse, they'd be like malicious gossip. And so, you know, what we started doing is doing kind of like interviews with people who lived and worked in Soho at the time and people who live and work there now, and and then sort of also covering every other aspect of the script, including students coming to London and how they find their first year. I mean, I, I have my own experience of that, but I wanted to hear it from some people in 2020. So that was a, a, a an amazingly revealing process and kind of quite harrowing a lot of it as well but it was already sort of like sort of you know kind of i guess like sort of looking for a grounding and a validation of of what i thought but with some you know kind of like the facts i guess
3: this is the museum hour on soho radio with a last night in soho special The next track, released in 1967 and written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent and recorded by Petula Clark, was a 1968 Grammy Award nomination for Best Contemporary Song, losing to Up, Up and Away by The Fifth Dimension. Petula Clark can currently be seen playing the Birdwoman in the musical Mary Poppins at the Prince Edward Theatre in Soho, but for now this is Don't Sleep in the Subway.
1: As promised, another live session, this time all the way from Tehran. This month we had a week-long takeover with Iranian radio station Beshknow. Enjoy this set from live music venue Sharkalid Foundation.
10: This is Darius Sardari, radio programme producer and co-founder of Radio Beshno Tehran. Today we are going to give you a glimpse of what is happening in Tehran's music scene. We will take you to the Shah Khalid Foundation, an organization devoted to promoting Iranian arts. We will meet Shah Khalid's founder, designer and director. A 66-year-old architect and musician who has devoted the past decade of his life supporting and promoting the Iranian music scene, realizing an age-old dream of his, the Shah Khalid Foundation. Can you explain uh, what Shah Foundation is about and what you're doing here in general?
11: Yes, sure. Shah uh, Khalid Foundation is a production house for music and performing arts, essentially. At the same time, we have four different stages here which we utilize for promoting concerts, lecture series, s- small dramas, dance and drama. Um, Literary nights, film nights, all kinds of events. And um, the most important part of Shark Foundation is that it's a private members club for artists and creative minds only. So only, only members can attend uh, Shark Elite, and we only sell excess capacity tickets to, to outsiders. But at the same time, we record everything that happens here, and in case, and we through our website we give access to the general public to it uh, and in case of our more important performances we, w- we will actually have a live stream uh,
10: session set up for it. Oh great, great. Could you take me for a tour of your studios here?
11: Yeah, sure. Uh, just before we go on the tour, I just want to explain to you what we've prepared to show you music wise today. Okay, great. Uh, we've uh, prepared a selection of all different genres of music, different types of music, all from right. classical uh, music to Persian music to jazz to rock to all, got the, all the full range of music that we do in Iran. Perfect. Uh, let's go and have a look.
10: All right, let's go. Name Nime Nama, Meile Miane, Maya, Min Min Namo, Nan Nama. Na mo mele mio ne Men ye Oh, yeah, I'm going
11: this is our main auditorium. Uh, we've done a lot of work on the acoustics of this auditorium. Uh, lots of modeling, computerized modeling to get the right acoustics for here. We have a seating capacity of up to 400 fully standing or 250 to 300 partial seating. Partial
10: nice. Stands. Very cool. So you recorded the Diane band in here, right?
11: Yes, the Darn Vocal Choir Choir was one of our first concerts here, which we live-streamed internationally. And it was an acid test of our acoustics here, because they're a live vocal band. So if live vocals, if your acoustics is not right, you know it immediately. So that was the acid test for our acoustics.
10: Very nice, very nice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm <laughs> شهرم بدون دستم بدون آغوشم اون شب همه اونجا بودن ولی کسی چیزی به من نگفت اون شب کسی از من نخواست که ترا 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 ترا, ترا, ترا
1: Thanks for listening to Soho Shortwave. If you want to hear the full version of any of the shows featured, catch up on our Mixcloud. Just search Soho Radio. And if you liked what you heard, subscribe to this podcast and tune in live at any time to SohoRadioLondon.com or get the app. This is a Soho Radio Productions podcast.